On this prequel episode, we've got our Twilight Saga Eclipse fan poll follow-ups. We're learning about Stephen King and previewing Dolan's Cadillac. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. On this week's episode, this patron, not patron, what am I? You were talking about recording our patron bonus episode, which we're going to do later, mm-hmm. uh, but that's not what this is. This is our prequel episode for Dolan's Cadillac, which is a Academy Award winning patron request from Shelby. Uh, Shelby is one of our top patrons, been supporting us for quite some time. And so we're rewarding you with Dolan's Cadillac, a movie nobody has seen. <laughs> I think this one might be one of the ones where more people will have read maybe the story than seeing the movie because it's a lot of people, you know, like Stephen King short story collections get yeah. around and yeah, people yeah, read. Yeah. I feel like I wouldn't be surprised if more people would have read the story of this one than seen the movie. But it's possible. We'll we'll, we'll talk about that more when we get to the uh the movie movie facts. But first, as always, we have our patron shout-outs. First up, we have one new patron, not really a new patron, but they did upgrade their subscription. Osri 139 Azri. I don't Azray. Azri. I'm gonna go with Azri. Okay. Azri. 139. <laughs> Whichever pronunciation. <laughs> Upgraded uh from two dollars to five dollars, which puts you at the Hugo award-winning level, which grants you access to our bonus content. So thank you very much for that. We do appreciate it. Please enjoy all that delicious bonus episodes. You can hear us talk about all kinds of TV shows and movies and stuff. And uh, not too long from now, when you're listening to this, the Midnight Sun bonus episode, which we are recording tonight. We also have, as always, our Academy Award winning patrons, and they are Winchester's Never Die, Kelly Napier, Gray Hightower, Dory, Eli Young's Gratch, just Gratch, Shelby Says Black Lives and Trans Lives Matter, Team Anna Kendrick, and Alina Delet-Kalova. Thank you all very much. We got one there that switched for our uh, Twilight Saga, it would seem, mm-hmm. being Team Anna Kendrick. Agree. I mean, I yes, I'm Team Anna Kendrick, not Jessica, not Team Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I agree on Anna Kendrick. <laughs> And I hope I pronounced uh, Kelly's name right. I believe I did. I added a pronunciation guide. So let me know. Let us know if I did okay. Thank you all again to all of our beautiful and lovely patrons. We appreciate you all very much. Let's go ahead and do our Twilight Saga Eclipse listener follow-up. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. So kind of similar to the Starship Troopers follow-up, we didn't have a ton of, like, votes, Mm -hmm. but we had quite a few comments Mm -hmm. from people. So on Twitter, we had 12 votes, seven of them were for the book, five were for the movie, so almost a tie. The book, like, barely eked that one out. Um, April Edmansky said... Male characters in the book are much worse. Was reminded of just how controlling Edward is. I get the Christian Grey inspo now. Mm-hmm. Also, Jacob equals sex offender. Yarg. Yep, I agree. Those are my feelings. 
Uh, Kelly Napier uh, at Standby for Live said, I have to agree with Brian's point that the movie is elevated by being able to construct a visual narrative outside of what's going on with Bella, mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. is something that we have liked about all the movies. Yes. That we're able to leave, leave Bella's perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shelby Suderman said, I'm giving it to the book this time. Like many film adaptations of big books, the movie suffers from having to cram in a lot of information, which means the plot flies by. There's no time to slow down and spend time with the characters, which I think is important for a sequel in particular. People check out sequels to see what their favorites are doing, and the book gets to have those moments more easily just by virtue of being a book. I think that's a fair point about a sequel. Mm-hmm. When you're three books deep, you're there for the characters, I yeah. feel like. Or yeah. at least a lot of people uh, are. Yeah, depending. Yeah. yeah. Um, Shelby also weighed in on uh, one of the differences between the book and the movie that I think we mentioned, but we didn't really go into any kind of depth about in our conversation. Um, She said, I find it interesting that Bella cutting herself to distract the enemy is a major point in both the book and the movie, but the context in each is worlds apart. In the book, everyone's tried to assure Bella that they can handle the problem, but in the fight, she can't tell who's winning between Edward and Victoria, and she thinks Seth is hurt, so she cuts herself. This distracts them, but the book also describes someone sighing, presumably Edward in exasperation, Sounds like Edward. Mm-hmm. Because Seth was only pretending to be hurt and they were winning just like they promised. In the movie version, Victoria and Riley are about to kill Edward in a moment that mirrors the scene with the Volturi in the last movie. And Bella's actions actually help. I like both of these in their own way. Yeah, that is a, that is that is true. That is something we didn't nail yeah, we down like, the details. Yeah, we didn't go into any depth on um, that one. And I will disagree in liking them both equally. I do, and it, I, it didn't obviously didn't stick out enough for me to mention it during the episode, so it's not like a big thing. But the, after Shelby laid it out there, that is very an accurate summation of the two scenarios. And I do prefer the movie's version mm-hmm. because, again, I think it gives Bella more agency and makes her less along for the ride. Like the fact yeah. that they're in the book, how they're winning and she just isn't privy to the fact that they're winning. And Edward afterward, he does chide her for not realizing that Seth was faking being hurt. Like that's yeah, what's going on. How could she have known? <laughs> and it feels even more patronizing in the, you know what I mean? Like that, the fact that she does this thing and it ends up, it feels patronizing in a little bit in the book. Whereas in the movie, it is a genuine moment of mm-hmm. um, her contributing in what way she can currently, you know what I mean? Whereas it's not like, and, and she doesn't get like, she doesn't get scolded afterwards for not being able to realize that Seth was faking his injury. So I I think I do prefer the movie version of that. I think you're right. Uh, The movie version does give her some more like agency within that scene. It's less patronizing. Um, I think overall the concept of like the self-sacrificing third wife thing, which is what that scene is paralleling is kind of icky. Yes. But I don't disagree. What are you going to do? I mean, it is better in the, and I mean, Bella's version is better. She didn't have to kill herself to True. do it. Like she just, you she know. doesn't plunge a knife into her heart or anything. Yes. I don't disagree that in general, though, overall that, that, that sort of story element and the parallel between that and the, the third wife story isn't just the most progressive thing in general, yeah. but as it, as they are both presented, I think the movie version <laughs> is a little bit better. So. And our last Twitter comment is from at gray underscore Hightower. 
I vote for neither as I have not seen the movie nor read the book. I'm not really interested in this series. Maybe it would peak if Buffy were introduced. Until then, I'm just a fan of you two. Thank you, Gray. Oh, how nice. (laughs) On Facebook, we had three votes. All of them were for the book, but we got quite a bit of feedback. Um, Ashley said, I'm sorry I have no vote. I've read, I've both read all of the books and watched all of the movies, but for some reason I could not remember one thing about Eclipse. It's like it has been wiped from my memory. Even listening to the episode, I could barely recollect anything besides the scene in the tent when they were trying to keep Bella warm. I mean, that is the most iconic scene. (laughs) Yeah, probably. I guess I was unimpressed with a child vampire army. As always, thank you for the amazing content and to Brian's predictions for giving me life. Please write a fanfic reimagining with Brian's storyline. That's what we'll need to do after this whole series is done. We'll take all my predictions and chart out the the story according to me. <laughs> I don't think they would all jive. <laughs> I'd have to look not. back and once we get done, I'm not sure if they would all line well, up. Well, we sense. would have to we would have but, to decide where it makes the most sense to put your prediction about Bella becoming a vampire. True, because I did make that one in every single. Yeah. 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 And then that may, the fact that she's not a vampire may have influenced other predictions. It definitely yeah. did, because I had one about them stealing Charlie. Yeah, we'd have to figure out and move that to the place where it made the most sense. But other than that, they probably all would make sense. And yeah, we could. <laughs> That's your next assignment. <laughs> You're never going to be done with Twilight, Katie. Now you have oh, to write God. an entire series reimagining um, based I'm on not, my plot I'm points. I'm not doing that. <laughs> if you want to write, I've, I've I've written my Twilight fanfic. <laughs> you paid that I've blood debt. I've paid my dues. Twelve years of it in, in Azkaban. Azkaban. <laughs> if you want to write fanfic, you can do it. <laughs> oh man! All right, Corinne said. It's been a long time since I read the book, but I think I preferred it to the movie. I could imagine how the words were said by characters, so they seemed slightly more believable. I think Eclipse has always been my least favorite of these books, though, possibly because it had a plot. It felt boringly conventional and not well done, whereas the first two books-slash-movies didn't have much plot, so I never knew what stupid or bonkers thing would happen next, which made Hmm. them more fun to read-slash-watch. Interesting. And that's a very take. unique yeah, approach to that. Because I, so far, three three books in would say that two was definitely my least favorite. Yeah. In terms of, I found it the most difficult to read. New Moon? Yeah, this New yeah. Moon, the second one, yeah. Um, so far, I'm only 30 pages into Breaking Dawn. But, <laughs> but yeah, of the first three, I found Breaking Dawn to be the most tedious yeah. in general. It had still had stuff I liked and, you know, that I didn't hate or whatever, but... Uh, Twilight was interesting because, you know, getting introduced to the world and then Eclipse had more going on. So I found it just more compelling, even Mm -hmm. though it is a little bit longer. But that is interesting that (laughs) sort of an opposite take of that. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's opposite, but like I get it. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't. I I understand what you're saying, Corinne. Christian said, I know I read this book, but I think I wasn't really invested by the time I got a copy of Eclipse. Some of the hype was dying down, and the people I liked who liked it when the craze started had moved on. I just remember not enjoying it. But at least I read it. I never bothered watching past the first movie, so maybe that's some credit to the book. Fair enough. enough. (laughs) I'd only ever seen the first movie. I never read any of them, so... Jennifer said, I thought this one was obviously going to go to the book until I did a rewatch of the movie. I mean, I still picked the book, but it was a lot closer than I thought. 
The movie tightened up some of the rambling around of the story, made some good character choices, and gave Bella a much better It's My Choice speech at the end, Mm -hmm. all of which are improvements. But also, whoever came up with the scraping granite sound when the vampires fight or are killed is a genius. The sound was perfection. The sound almost pushed the movie over for me. But I picked the book because I like the lore and I feel like it is far too glossed over in the movie. I also feel like even though it was tossed out in the movie that Sam cannot be disobeyed, it's not physically possible for a wolf to disobey orders, there wasn't any pause given to that at all. Um, To what that means. To what that means practically for Jacob now and in the recent past. That was something I forgot about in the book or that I yeah. didn't like jive with me that that was a story element yeah. that he can't physically cannot. Yeah, he, like can't disobey yeah. the alpha. I also feel like Jasper is infinitely more awesome in the book. At least he is in my mind and wish he got to have more awesome in the movie. In short, I missed the rambling around of the story when it helped us really know our characters better. So for that reason, I picked the book. That was uh, some of the uh, some of these this common thread with sort of spending more time with the character and stuff is the reason is the specific reason that both of us picked the first book yeah. over the first movie. Um, and I guess maybe it is for me. I maybe I, I don't know. I'm just kind of speculating. Maybe for me, why I've started picking the movie. Did I pick the second movie? Yeah, I think mm-hmm. I picked the movie now twice is that I feel like I know the characters enough mm-hmm. that the movies are just I don't need that extra time. I, maybe it's just I feel like though to, I, to me it feels like the characters aren't so dynamic that I need a lot more time with them. Uh-huh. And in the manners that they are dynamic in the book, I find it unbelievable. Like Jacobs and <laughs> and Edward's sort of wild character swings. Um, at least that's the way it kind of feels to me. So I think that is why I've preferred the last two movies. Whereas I did because I do get that absolutely. It's it's why that one of the main reasons. Among a million others that, like with Harry Potter, we chose the book every single time. Yeah. Um, is that time you get with the characters and just the more fleshed out characterization. So I do understand that that argument for sure. Mm-hmm. Joanna said, it's been a bit since I read slash watched this one, but I think I'll give it to the book. Like Jennifer, I like the deeper stories. I liked the additional lore of each group and how they are connected. I like the extra descriptions of the side characters, their backstory, relationships, and even physical descriptions. In particular, how Jasper fits in with the Cullens and how he's covered in newborn vampire bites that aren't really visible to humans because of vampire reasons. And how more vampires equals more wolves and what that dynamic is. I especially liked the added dynamic of a girl wolf and what a strain the mental connection of so many teens means. It shows that even teens don't want to know what other teens are thinking. True. Very true. I never want to know what teens are thinking. No, never. <laughs> I will say, did I miss the, it, maybe I, maybe I missed it or maybe I'm wrong. Or, um, is ja- are Jasper's bites somehow um, not visible to humans? I think they're just hard to see because okay. Bella can see them, but she knows what to look for. My understanding was that they looked how they did in the movie, and my understanding was that he literally just like wore long sleeves all the time to cover yeah. them. Was kind of the vibe I got both reading the book and in the movie. Um, not and and that they are faint, like they're they're, yeah, they're it's, it's, it's kind of like scarring more than you know like mm-hmm. obvious bite marks. But I, I to me, I didn't think they were. I don't know. This is interesting. Different read on it than kind of mm-hmm. what I got. Okay, cool. I had one note that I wanted to follow up on that I took right after we finished recording the Eclipse episode. It's just a little thing, but I wanted to 
bring it up because it was something I wanted to, I meant to mention and just kind of forgot that another reason um, that I, another thing that I really disliked about the Jacob and Bella dynamic in the book was that the book ultimately feels like it comes down on the side of Bella shouldering the blame for Jacob's action for like leading him on mm-hmm. uh, or, or, or stringing him along. And that I felt, I feel like this, I mean, I know we both feel like that's some toxic nonsense. Um, like Bella is literally throughout the course of the book, just trying to be his friends and continuously and routinely tells him that <laughs> they are just friends and I that mean, sort of she thing. She really does. She does constantly. Yeah. Um, and then, so when I'm ultimately left with the feeling that Stephanie Meyer thinks that Bella was like responsible somehow for how Jacob acted and felt, I was, I, I'm gonna have to disagree with that. And it just left me feeling very like, which is something that the movie didn't make me feel, mm-hmm. but it was a thing that I felt very strongly reading the book is that it, it, there's a conversation in particular, and I don't remember the exact details late. It, it, it's probably the conversation outside the tent after the big blow up fight and everything. Or it might even be before that, uh, where where G- he, Jacob is talking about how like saying stuff about her leading him on and stuff, and it just ultimately felt to me like the book was saying, yeah, she kind of was, like that mm-hmm. was like the message I got. Maybe maybe other people didn't get that message, and if so, maybe it's not a thing that bothered people. But for me, that was a big thing. That I was like, I don't like that in the book at all. I mean, are so. you surprised? No, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I just again, it was just another thing I wanted to mention. I don't. I, we didn't talk about really in any detail during. The, mm-hmm during the episode so i wanted to bring that up all right thank you everybody for all that beautiful and wonderful feedback tons of great stuff we love it we got a couple more episodes of twilight to get those thoughts in tell us what you think about the series but next week we're doing dolan's cadillac written by mr stephen king so let's learn a little bit about stephen king no matter what anybody tells you Words and ideas can change the world. So we have done a handful of King properties at this point. Uh, we did Stand By Me, Pet Cemetery, Children of the Corn. Yeah. But I realized that we have never done a Learning Things yeah. segment on Stephen King himself. Mm-hmm. So I thought, why not go ahead and do that? Makes sense. It's also a little bit harder to come up with a learning things topic About when I'm less familiar with the source yeah. material. And, it's just a, and it's I a, have never read this one. It's a lesser known Stephen yeah. King short story. So it's like there's not yeah, a whole lot whereas, out like, there. I had seen Stand By Me and the other two I had not seen or read, but I had like, you knew the like concept, concepts right? and like cultural yeah. osmosis. Those both stuff. have cultural yeah. r- 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 ramifications, you know. People know what Pet Cemetery is, even if they haven't seen it. People know what Children of the Corn is, even if they yeah. haven't seen it. So. But I have, I had never heard of Nolan's Cadillac, so I decided why not go ahead and do a Learning Things segment on the author. There you go. So Stephen King is an American novelist and short story writer whose works have been credited with reviving the horror genre in the late 20th century. Um, He was born September 21st, 1947, in Portland, Maine, the other Portland. Which is also apparently a very cool city. Yeah. Uh, However, his parents split up when he was a toddler, and he and his brother David actually split their time between Indiana and Connecticut, although they were primarily raised by his mother, I believe, in Connecticut. Mm. I didn't make a note of that, but I believe it was Connecticut. Um, Eventually, that family did move back to Maine, where King went to high school and then college at the University of Maine in Orono, Hmm. I think is how that's pronounced. Orono? Orono. Yeah, one of the two. 
East Coast places. O R O O N O. While at college, King wrote for the university newspaper, and he published his first short story, The Glass Floor, which appeared in Startling Mystery Stories. Ooh. <laughs> I like that's a, like an undersell of a name. Yeah, like, right. startling isn't like a hook. <laughs> I mean, it's, in a, you know it's I mean? in a similar vein to like action stories and like yeah. a lot of a lot of older journals had that kind right. of title yeah, yeah. but yeah startling is it, an interesting it's not one. it's just not like a very like gripping adjective right. you know what yeah. i mean like a, <laughs> it's not like terror or, or yeah gerund or whatever it is yeah uh he graduated in 1970 with a bachelor's degree in english shortly after he married a fellow writer tabitha spruce supposedly they met at the university library while both both working there as students. So I expect to someday get my meet cute Stephen King biopic. Biopic, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Stephen King biopic. That's feel like that should be a thing eventually. Yeah, right. I think how prolific he is mm-hmm. and like all the stories of drugs and stuff. Yeah, you would think. You would think maybe someday. Maybe someday. Um, Post graduation, King worked odd jobs and eventually started teaching English. His big break came in 1974 with the publication of his novel Carrie. We all know Carrie. Mm-hmm. It was an immediate huge success, which actually allowed King to focus on <laughs> writing full time. And boy, did he ever! <laughs> Be Stephen King writing part time would still probably write more than most right? people. <laughs> Um, so he published prolifically, sometimes under the pen name Richard Bachman, um, beginning with Rage in 1977. King chose to use a pen name. I thought this was interesting, supposedly because he believed that the public wouldn't accept more than one book from an author per year. <laughs> I mean, I get that. Yeah, like you, you could see you could see it uh, diluting your name. Yeah. If if you're known for like these particular stories, and all of a sudden you're turning out, you know, you had this huge success with Carrie, and then you st- all of a sudden there's four books in two years, yeah, all with your name. It's even if the quality is 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 the same on all of them, it could definitely dilute sort of what people, you know, you would just expect as a as a reader, like how oh, they have time to write. Yeah. There's no way these can be as good. As right. As, as but I fr- think yeah, people would all either think that the quality wasn't as good, yeah. or maybe that. It was actually, he had like a ghost, ghost writer or and like yeah. wasn't writing them all himself. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Richard Bachman pen name was exposed as his pseudonym by a Washington, D.C. bookstore clerk who noticed similarities between the works of Stephen King and the works of Richard Bachman. Yeah. And then later was able to locate publishers' records at the Library of Congress. Huh. This guy was very into uncovering this mystery, yeah. apparently. Um, so he found those records at the Library of Congress that named King as the author of one of Bachman's novels, which read to, led to a press release heralding Bachman's quote-unquote death, supposedly from cancer of the pseudonym. Ah. <laughs> um, King has also written... I believe they the, call that pseudonymonia. Oh, my God. <laughs> leave (laughs) um king has also written under the names jonathan swithin and beryl evans Hmm. um in the early 1970s we've arrived at this part of the story um king developed a drinking slash 
other substance <laughs> problem, yeah. which would plague him for more than a decade. Um, it was exacerbated by the death of his mother in 1974 and was quite serious through the 80s, with King later on admitting that he barely remembered writing Cujo, which was published in 1981. That's the one about the evil dog, right? Yes. Cujo, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, as King has stated in his autobiography, he was able to seek help in the late 80s and became sober. Um, in 1999, King was hit by a minivan while out walking in Lovell, Lovell Maine, um, and suffered pretty serious injuries, including leg bones, his leg bones being so shattered that the doctors actually oh, considered wow. amputating. Um, afterwards, King's lawyer and two others purchased the van that hit him for $1,500 reportedly to prevent it from appearing on eBay. The van was later crushed at a junkyard to King's disappointment as he had fantasized about smashing it himself. I would just drive it. That'd be the ultimate <laughs> boss move. Just drive it around from then on. That'd be the move. Or destroy it. Yeah, Either way. Many of King's works are considered uh, semi-autobiographical, meaning that they are taken in some part from his own experiences. One of the most obvious examples of this is how he uses setting, as many of the locations that he sets stories in are places from his home state of Maine and other places that he's lived. For example, he wrote The Shining while living in Colorado in 1975. Mm. King's fiction is also marked by use of everyday language, focus on the emotional feelings of his characters, detailed and realistic settings, and an emphasis on modern problems. Um, part of King's popularity with readers comes from his ability to create stories in which evil occurs in ordinary situations. So it's a blend of the fantastical with, oh God, this feels like it could really happen. Yeah. To date... Stephen King has published 61 novels, five nonfiction books, and over 200 short stories, most of which have been collected into 11 compilations, among other works including screenplays, essay collections, interview collections, one graphic novel, one children's book, and one libretto for a musical. In short, if you're a writer, please do not compare your productivity to Stephen King. He is an outlier and should not have been counted. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. That was our Learning Things segment on the one and only Stephen King. Let's move ahead and talk about his novel, no, short story, Dolan's Cadillac. Jimmy Dolan does business trafficking in human beings, usually for the sex trade. Splendid. More like this. And they are ruthless. Your watchword is. Intimidation. We can protect you. I waited and I watched. I watched and I waited. He lived in his luxury Vegas condo, but he had a warehouse and operations in Los Angeles. Always in that caddy, which he wore like his favorite suit. Dolan's Cadillac is a short story slash novella depending on what various lengths you consider those, by Stephen King. Um, originally published in Castle Rock, which is King's official newsletter, in monthly installments from February to June of 1985. 
And then in 1993, Dolan's Cadillac was collected in Nightmares and Dreamscapes, which is the compilation that I got from the library. There you go. And it is thick. Yeah. <laughs> Two C's. <laughs> it is a book you could use as a weapon. <laughs> There is an audiobook version of the story that was narrated by actor Rob Lowe. Interesting. Uh, the story also contains references to Edgar Allan Poe's The Cask of Amontillado, uh, most notably in Robinson's Burial of Dolan. And then the line, For the love of God, Robinson, is a direct reference to For the love of God, Montresor. Um, I'm looking forward to that because Cask of Amontillado is one of my favorite Poe stories. There you go. Um, and then according to StephenKing.com, the inspiration for the story is as follows. I was idling my way through one of those seemingly endless road repair sites where you breathe in a lot of dust, tar, and exhaust. The car in front of me that day was a big green Cadillac sedan DeVille. As we inched our way past an excavation where huge cylinders of pipe were being laid, I remember thinking even a car as big as that Cadillac would fit in there. A moment later, I had the idea of Dolan's Cadillac firmly in place. Eureka. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and talk about Dolan's Cadillac, the film. You'll watch and you'll wait. You'll wait and you'll watch. Sentence you to life because I know two things. You don't have the stuff to kill me. You don't have the stuff to kill yourself. Hey, buddy! Buddy, we've had an accident! Oh, I'm, I'm not the help you're looking for, Dolan. Dolan's Cadillac is a 2009 film directed by Jeff Beasley, who is a Canadian director who has primarily done Canadian TV. Uh, it was written by Richard Dooling, whose only credit, other than this movie, is Kingdom Hospital, which is a miniseries that was an adaptation of a Stephen King story. Hmm. Uh, the film stars Christian Slater, probably most known from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, True Romance, Mr. Robot, a bunch of other stuff. But those are maybe some of the bigger ones. Emmanuel Va, Va I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Vaugier, 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 V-A-U-G-I-E-R, who was in Saul. She was in CSI New York, Two and a Half Men, and she was in Lost Girl. She's the Morrigan. Oh. Yeah, she's in this movie. Huh. And Wes Bentley, uh, who's been in quite a bit of stuff, uh, but most recently Yellowstone, which is, I know, popular now, I think, at least among some people. I've seen it talked about. <laughs> I know nothing about it. Uh, American Horror Story, uh, American Beauty, uh, he, in The Hunger Games. He plays Seneca Crane in the first Hunger Games movie. Hmm. Uh, and he was in Interstellar and then, again, a bunch of other stuff. Uh, he's got a very recognizable face. When you see yeah. him, you, you recognize Wes Bentley. He was in one of the pictures he posted on social yeah. media already. The film had a budget of $10 million, uh, was produced in Canada, and was a direct-to-video video release, so it did not get a theatrical release, which is one of the reasons nobody... Yeah, heard. yeah. This movie does not have any critical reviews on Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic, so I can't do anything with you there. It does have a fan score of 31% on Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> and a 5.7 on IMDb with 7,000 reviews. 5.7 isn't terrible. But it's not great. It's not yeah. terrible, though. Like, most of the movies we do on, like, Good, Bad, or Bad, Bad are sub-five, most mm -hmm. of them. 
uh, or like and a lot of them are four and under uh, like the, the Twilight movies are all around five point eight ish in that range. Um, although I'm sure that's a lot of ones and a lot of tens if I had or not. You know what I mean? Like a lot yeah. of a lot of uh, outliers there. But there's almost nothing I could find almost nothing about this movie because it's so unknown. It was made by a small Canadian production company for a tiny budget. Um, even though it does have some names in it, like I said, uh, originally speaking of who was going to be in this movie or who is in this movie versus who was going to be originally Sylvester Stallone was slated to play Jimmy Dolan. Kevin Bacon was originally going to pay, play Robinson and Stacy title, uh, who's a director most known, <laughs> uh, infamously for the bye-bye man, uh, and the, a film called The Last Supper from 1995 was going to direct the film. Uh, and none of that obviously happened. Uh, and we got the people <laughs> that we have currently. Uh, a couple other, one other little fun fact. This is the only other thing I could find. In the, and this is a reference similar to what, the one you pointed out. In the movie, Dolan stays at the Montresor Hotel. This is a reference to Stephen King's inspiration for the story, The Cask of Amontillado. Mm-hmm. Uh, which has the line for the love of God, Montresor. Mm-hmm. So there you go. There's a hotel in the movie called the Montresor. So we have uh, two similar facts in our thing. And that's it. That's all I could find about this movie. Uh, I did Googling. Uh, there was three facts on IMDb. There was no production notes on Wikipedia. And I did some Googling and looking and could not find anything. So it happens sometimes. That was all I had. <laughs> Here's where you can watch it, though. Uh, as always, check your local library first and foremost. Who Seems unlikely that they'll have it, but you never know. They could. Uh, but it is free on IMDb TV. So you just have to log into IMDb and you can watch with like a Google account or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you can watch a movie for free on there with commercials. It also says it's free on Amazon Prime. But I did click on that to see. Like I clicked on the Amazon Prime link and it seemed to redirect me basically to the IMDb version. Interesting. I believe IMDb and I and Amazon Amazon may own IMDb. I don't know how it works. Probably do. But um I when I clicked on it through Amazon Prime, it played the IMDb version essentially. So if you have Amazon Prime, you can do it that way, too. It just plays the IMDb version. And you do get commercials, even though it's on Amazon Prime, which means you shouldn't have commercials. This one had commercials because it's the IMDb version. I don't know. It was weird. Uh, or you can rent it for two bucks on YouTube or Google Play for sure. Um, all right. It's a little bit cheaper than some of the other ones. So there you go. Those are all the places you can watch Dolan's Cadillac. Do that and uh, we'll talk about it in a week. I know nothing. I, I didn't. I didn't even read the synopsis. I uh, I just saw that it's a crime thriller, or something. It was like the genre, um, and it has something to do with revenge. I think. I mean, based on the Poe inspiration, I'm pretty sure I know how it ends. Right. But other than that, I don't know anything about it. Cool. So. Well, we're gonna talk about it in one week's time, and you can all come back and listen to that. <laughs> Until that time, guys, got on binary. Everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And keep Keep being awesome. awesome.